Take our text this evening from the Gospel of John, chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. John 9, 1 to 3. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. This entire chapter is centered on Jesus healing this blind man. We don't have his name, but he's the focus of of chapter 9. And there's also a lot of other events taking place in chapter 9 that are a result of Jesus healing him and giving him his sight. And as I was reading this text, I, I, I realized that we, we have some interesting insight to how people perceive and process both the human condition and the miracle that results when God steps on the scene and transforms a person's life. The disciples ask this question, was the blindness a result of this man's sin or his parents' sin? It seems like an unusual question, but it's not all that far out of line with some scripture in the Old Testament. We read in four areas in Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and we'll read the verse out of Exodus chapter 20. It's actually one of the Ten Commandments, the second commandment, where not God instructed the Israelites not to make any idols or graven images. And verse 5 says, I, the Lord God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. The fact that there are penalties in life when one breaks the rules or breaks the law should surprise no one. And family members can be adversely affected when a parent uh, commits sin. We've seen uh, that happen. There are penalties in sports. And I say that knowing that it's football season. And that is a sport that has quite a few penalties. And I'm not an expert by any means, but for probably most of my life, I've been aware of some of these penalties. Uh, A minor infraction of the rules during a game could result in a team losing five yards or 10 yards or even 15 yards. I've learned that there are penalties at the spot of the foul where the team or the player that commits the foul cost his team that penalty and the ball is apparently advanced to that spot. There are penalties that are even more severe when 
the referee or the umpire determines that uh, the penalty was committed willfully and perhaps even with intent to harm. And those penalties can uh, result in expulsion from the game. And I understand that there can even be financial penalties. So that's just one example in life. And there are many examples where people have to deal with the fact that there are penalties when they commit an offense, whether not on purpose or whether they did it purposely. If we go back to Exodus there and that second commandment, verse 6 says that God shows mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. I'm so thankful that in the gospel that where there are penalties, there is also God's mercy to forgive the penalty. There's also another another phrase that came to mind, and you've no doubt heard this, it's moving the goalpost. And that, that phrase, that metaphor was taken from goal-based sports, and it means to change the rules while the game is in process. I think I've been in games like that before with friends in the neighborhood or maybe even at school where a player says, I'm going to change the rules to benefit me. It's no fun to play like that, is it? In the Bible, we learn that God doesn't move the goalpost. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that God's word doesn't change. The psalmist said in 119, verse 89, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. What an assurance it is to know that God's word is settled. That made me think of that song, I believe it, and that settles it for me. God's word is true, and it's settled in heaven. May it be settled in our hearts also. God doesn't move the goalpost. Jesus answered his disciples, Neither hath this man sin, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I love how Jesus is forward-looking here. The disciples, they, they, they look back to the Old Testament. We read in the New Testament that Jesus came to fulfill the law. And Jesus was forward-looking at this point. He looked forward to the future. The disciples, they asked, why, Jesus, was this man born in this condition? But Jesus wasn't so interested in the why. He was interested in what can possibly happen to this man. Going forward from here, what can happen? He was more interested in the what. What could be done for the blind man? He is still interested in that tonight. As he looks down on humanity and looks down upon our church here, he's interested in what can be done. What can be made manifest in your life? How can the power of God be revealed in your life this year going forward? Jesus saw potential when he looked at the blind man. Jesus knew that with God, all things are possible. And this was an opportunity that God's work would be made manifest in him. Verse 6 of John 9 said, When he had thus spoken, he sped on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. 
And he said unto him, Go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seen. What a miracle. It's a little odd, it seems, that Jesus would choose that method, but no, and no explanation is given. But don't focus on the method, focus on the result. The blind man simply obeyed. He believed, he had that simple faith that each of us have been given a measure, and he just obeyed what Jesus asked him to do. And his eyesight was given to him. Imagine that, born blind, never having seen before it. It's very difficult to imagine a life like that. And then imagine what it might be like when he began to see. What a wonderful miracle. What a great miracle that Jesus did that day. The first seven verses of John 9 tell the story how the blind man was healed. And verses 8 through 34, we we read about other people who became involved in this story. The first group of people that we read about were the neighbors. And neighbors can be a blessing, and and sometimes they are not. Um, sometimes they get involved with things, and um, they got involved with the blind man. And it's only obvious that that would happen. Uh, but it's interesting that some of his neighbors didn't recognize him. And some said, is that really you? And some said, well, it kind of looks like him. And I think about that verse that the Apostle Paul wrote there in, in Corinthians, where we are a new creature in Christ Jesus. Behold, old things pass away and everything becomes new. Even our appearance changes sometimes, doesn't it? God does such a, a good work that maybe people can't recognize you or recognize the change that has been made in your life. And that was the way it was with some of the neighbors. And then we read about that the Pharisees became involved with the man that was healed, the blind man that was healed. And then the Pharisees learned that Jesus made clay, and it was the Sabbath day. And their focus changed from this wonderful miracle to the Old Testament law. And they, they got off track at that point. And the conversation wasn't a real good conversation that they had with the blind man. And the Pharisees weren't done. The Pharisees had the parents of the blind man that was healed brought to them. And um, I kind of liked the way the parents handled the situation. They said, uh, yes, he's our son. And he was born blind and we know that he was healed, but we don't know how it happened. Why don't you ask him? Uh, he's of age. And that made me think of when my children uh, came of age and, and it was, and they left home. My daughter went and got married and we tried to talk to her a little bit, give her some parental ad advice. And, and my son, about a year and a half later, he was gone off at school and it was a little hard on us being the parents and, uh, but after a while, we really realized the blessings. And when the kids move, you, you, uh, they're on their own. 
they're, they're responsible and we're happy to see that they're taking responsibility and, and we had more freedom. We ate out more and we taken some vacations. And, and the parents, they probably felt a little bit like that. And they were fearful of what the Pharisees could do to them. The scripture in John chapter 9 says that. But they just put it off, said, you talk to him. Well, the Pharisees again got a hold of the man that was healed. And the conversation took a decisive turn for the worse. Again, the Pharisees were like beating a dead horse. And the blind man says, this I know, I was blind, but now I can see. What a, what a wonderful miracle. And the Pharisees, they, they missed it. One would think that everyone would have been extremely happy for the healed blind man. Think about that. He doesn't have to rely on others for his care. He doesn't have to sit and beg for, uh, for money or for food. You think that everyone would have been thankful that Jesus healed the blind man. If Jesus could do this miracle, what more could Jesus do? That seems like that would have been the question. That's the question today. Jesus has done so much for us. What more can he do? We live in strange times, to say the least. But here we are at the start of a, a new year, and I, I believe that God is looking down from heaven, and he wants to manifest his goodness and his grace and his power in the lives of his saints. God can do it. He will do it. I remember back in 2010, my wife and I took one of those vacations that I just mentioned a little while ago, and and um, we visited the city of Venice over in Italy, and we took a tour of the Doge's palace. And I'll tell you quickly a little bit about that. The palace was built in the 14th century, and it was just built to provide a official space for business and, and also accommodations for the Doge, who is a leader was the leader of the Republic of Venice. It was a, a city-state for quite a few years in, in past history. And as we took that tour, I, I found that uh, the artifacts and the architecture and the history that we were learning from our tour guide, I found it very interesting. And I, I do remember going to the torture room in that palace. It seemed like all those old palaces have a torture room. And it's kind of interesting to, to see that. And I'm thankful they don't have them or use, use them anymore. And there was also a bridge called the Bridge of Size. And it, it was where when the, the prisoners were convicted in the courtroom in the palace and they would walk across the, the Bridge of Size and they would be able to look out into the water. And, and it said that that would be their probably their last glimpse of, of freedom. Uh, that was really interesting to me, uh, that history there. And, and um, as we walked through the palace, our tour group, and uh, we came across another tour, we, we passed each other, and our tour guide, uh, she stopped. And the other tour guide stopped, and, and these are Italian tour guides. And uh, they started speaking in Italian with each other. And at first, it, 
It, it seemed normal, the conversation, but, but quickly the conversation, it escalated in, in intensity and, and in volume. And, and you know, some Italian people, they, they speak with their hands and, and they were doing that. It was, it was really something to see. And, and, um, I, the, both of the tour groups, us tours, we were just stunned. Uh, we were silent. We were just taking this all in and, and uh, I wondered, something must be really wrong. Somebody's in big trouble. Uh, and and then just as quickly as it started, it was over. And, and we moved on. And as, as we walked away from that, our tour guide said, somebody left the window open. And um, that's really what I remember about that tour there at the Doge Palace in, in Venice. But I thought about that. They, they put on such a display of passion, and I, I think they were truly upset with each other. And it was about something that was so insignificant. I mean, if I would have been, I would have gone and shut the window if I understood Italian, but it's just, it was just, it amazed me that that happened even. But I think about to the story here in John chapter 9. It amazed me that this story happened with the, the Pharisees and the neighbors and those that were witness to the miracle that God did. And all they did was create drama. Uh, all they did was they, they diverted to something that really didn't matter at all. In addition to that, the Pharisees, they remained in their spiritual blindness. It was an opportunity for all the people that were involved there that day to, to see what Jesus had done and to check it out for themselves and, and talk to the Lord and receive forgiveness. But they were just interested in all this other drama. Let's not get caught up in that. Let's stay focused on what God wants us to stay focused on. Again, we live in some weird times and it's easy to get distra- distracted To say that there's a lot of drama all around us is an understatement. But let's stay focused on heaven. Let's stay focused on the Lord and on God and what he wants to do and how he wants to manifest his power in your life, in my life, in the days ahead as he should tarry. At the end of the chapter, the blind man met Jesus. It was the second time, but it was really the first time because he had no idea who Jesus was. He didn't see him when Jesus healed him. But Jesus asked him a question, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? The blind man answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is him that talketh with thee now. And the blind man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. He handled that pretty good, didn't he? But God had done so much for him. And when he finally met the Lord and God and Jesus asked, do you believe on me? He said, yes, Lord, I believe. Do you believe on the Lord tonight? Jesus is in the soul saving business here this evening. He can save. We need to turn to him and look his way. He's looking down right now to see if there's a hungry heart here that wants more from him. 
God is in the healing business, too. I read the story. I said, man, if Jesus can heal a blind man, he could heal us today. And he will. The Bible tells us that by his stripes, we are healed. Oh, there is power in the blood of Jesus to accomplish so much in your life and in mine. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Thankful for that. Expect that God will work in your life and make himself manifest in your life.